Filthy Henry, the Fairy Detective, Chapter 2 I don't want to drink it. Drink the damn thing or we'll never get this job done. But did you see how he made it? Did you see? He used needles to drain the blood and then mixed it with whatever was in those vials. Now you want me to drink that? Forget it. The argument had been going on for the past half an hour. Pretty much the entire drive to the job. Jim O'Toole was getting more and more annoyed with every passing minute. He had started to contemplate force-feeding the contents of the vial down his partner's throat just to stop the stupid arguing. In Jim's line of work, work that primarily focused on removing the ownership of objects from people in order to give said ownership to different people for a tidy profit, it was not unheard of to be asked to do some questionable things. Knock out an 80-year-old security guard so you could swipe a priceless painting or hold a toy gun up to a secretary's face and pretend it was real, screaming at her until she gave you the key to the safe. Once an obviously insane crime lord had paid them €50,000 to literally steal candy from a baby. It was apparently one of the crime lord's lifelong fantasies to witness. Each to their own, Jim thought. Jim viewed the contents of the two vials in his hands as another questionable thing that had to be done in order to get paid. And the payment for this job was worth the inconvenience of drinking something disgusting. Both he and his long-term partner, in the criminal sense, Frankie Doran, had gotten the job through the usual channels, which meant they had been out one night having a few pints, when somebody of a shady disposition walked up and handed them an envelope of dubious origin without saying a word. No answers suggested, no questions thought up. A simple transaction. The amount that would be paid had more zeros in it than either of the crooks had seen in their lives. The job itself had been a two-parter. Part one had been accomplished with the greatest of ease. Jim generally frowned on animal cruelty. But again, it was amazing how stupidly large sums of money could turn any frown upside down. He and Frankie had been instructed to steal a specific cat from a dissy artist type and bring it back to their employer a task they managed to complete without any hassle at all. The end result being one dead feline and two vials of cat blood mixed with some secret herbs and spices, vials that were currently in Jim's possession. Vials of vileness, which they were now required to drink in order to begin part two of the job. I'm not drinking it. End of, Frankie said, crossing his arms. He was actually pouting. A grown man, built like a tank, and sporting a shaved head, pouting like a child that had been asked to eat something healthy with his chocolate chip cookie. Jim turned off the car's engine and took the key out of the ignition. It was late, almost half three in the morning, and the street was deserted. They had just entered their destination into the GPS, newly acquired that day, and followed the directions. Why their employer had not just told them to drive to Cunningham Road, and park facing the old stone wall of the Phoenix Park was a bit of a mystery. Almost like he wanted to add a cloak and dagger element to the job. Part-time crooks were all the same. Seen five too many movies and thought it was all very glamorous. Figured it just was not a true heist, 
unless there was a flare of mysterious thrown into the mix. They had parked the car in an empty car park, tucked away nicely in a dark and shadow-filled corner, beside a single-story office building, facing the ancient stone wall that enclosed the Phoenix Park. A wall that had been built sometime in the 1600s and was still standing. Not so much as a testament to time, but more in defiance of it. As annoying as Frankie's point-blank refusal was, Jim could understand his reluctance. Never before had they been asked to drink something, disgusting or otherwise, in order to get a job done. But drink it they would, because apparently part two did not start until the contents of the vials had been consumed. Why this was the case had become a question Jim had decided not to ask. The trick to getting Frankie to take the strange concoction, Jim knew, would be to drink it first. Not that Jim found this a stomach-satisfying strategy. He was, after all, considering taking a shot of animal blood, like some moody teenage vampire at a hip club from a soppy romantic book. There was no way that it would taste good, in any shape or form. A mental light bulb went off in Jim's head, illuminating a sneaky idea. He reached over, popped open the glove box, and rummaged around inside. Eventually, Jim's fingers found the can of Red Bull he was looking for. He grabbed it and took it out, leaning back over to his side of the car. Hey, you can't have that. I'll need it later, Frankie said, eyeing the can of heart rate increasing drink like a hungry wolf. I'll buy you a new one, Jim said, opening the driver door and stepping out into the cold night. Just need to get some air before we do this thing. It was chilly outside the car, although the air smelled a lot better. Frankie had eaten something that was repeating from both ends of him, which caused the air in the car to become noxious. Jim looked around the empty street. All law-abiding citizens were tucked up safe and sound in their beds. He closed the driver's side door, opened the Red Bull, and placed the can on the roof of the car. If he had any morals, Jim knew he would have reconsidered his next actions. But that was the beauty of being a crook. Your morals were long since gone, sold on your first job, in order to afford that lovely crowbar you cherish so much. Taking one of the vials, Jim uncorked it, tipping the contents inside the stimulating drink. He repeated this procedure with the second vial, emptying it completely before throwing both glass containers over his shoulder. They landed in a bush behind him, with a rustle of leaf and a clink of glass. As the two fluids mixed inside the drink, it started to fizz loudly. The metal container clinked a little, like it was being lightly crushed. Jim picked it up and sniffed cautiously at the opening. Whatever was inside now smelled worse than what Frankie had produced during the car ride here. Over the lips, Jim said to himself, downing half the potion containing powder drink in one go. This was not the first time he had drank one of these energy drinks, so Jim knew how it should have tasted. He was fairly sure that the rusty metallic taste was the potion, and not some god-awful new flavour. It went down warm and smooth, like hot varnish being poured down his throat. Jim felt like his stomach was already rejecting the drink, closing off parts of the intestine to redirect the fluids. He threw up a little in his mouth, clamping his hand over it to make sure nothing got out. With great effort, everything was swallowed back down. Jim grimaced at the thought of what he had just done and then gagged a little once again. He shook the can, heard the rest of the drink slosh around inside and walked around to Frankie's side of the car. The trick now would be not to seem like he wanted to throw up all over the place. While ignoring the sailor's knot that was tightening in his stomach, 
Jim took a couple of deep breaths to help steady himself, then opened the passenger door and handed the can to his partner in crime. You want the rest of this? I forgot how mank it tasted, Jim lied like a bro. Frankie took the can and downed it in one. He crunched it up with his left hand and flung it out of the car, past Jim, without saying a word. This act was followed by a loud belch that smelled faintly of leaking batteries. If it was going to be that bloody easy, I wouldn't have bothered showing him the damn vials in the first place, Jim thought. He watched Frankie for a few seconds. No change in the man at all. No indication that his innards were rebelling like a small country against their oppressive overlord. The little fecker was fine. You feeling okay? Jim asked. Frankie shrugged. He nodded his head. Yeah, I think that curry I had at lunch had something bad in it though. Stomach is in a bit of a jock. Clearly the best method to imbibe potions of a dubious nature was to have some spicy food in your gut beforehand. Jim took a mental note of this. Then again, he had high hopes of never having to drink animal blood again just to get the job done. This was the big score, the one that every crook hoped to get at some stage. Early retirement with a big fat paycheck, just like a useless politician. His dad would have been so proud had he not disowned Jim after the first time his son had been sent to prison for a bungled burglary. Right, let's get started, Jim said, getting his mind back on the job and walking towards the rear of the car. Unlocking the boot, he opened it, reaching in to take out a large black duffel bag. Frankie came down to the rear of the car, took the bag from Jim and gave the contents a quick examination. No guns? he asked, sounding genuinely disappointed. No guns, just those dart ones. Boss man said nothing is to be killed on this job. Aside from the cat? Well, yeah, obviously, but we didn't kill it. So that doesn't count. Anything we see moving in there gets a dart shot at it. He says we should have enough to knock out half the city if we wanted. So don't go sparing any. Apparently the juice in each of them could take down an elephant. So be careful not to prick yourself with the business end of one. Frankie took out a dart gun from the bag, along with a ski mask. He pulled the mask over his head, adjusting the eye slot so he was able to see out, and then took the gun into the back of his jeans. Jim did the same with the second mask and gun, strapping the bag onto his back so they had the extra ammo with them. He handed an extra clip of darts to Frankie. So, Frankie said, looking around at the buildings. What we robbing then? One of these fancy pants apartments? There was nothing really on this street except for apartment complexes. Some had wonderful electronic gates that gave a sense of security, or the illusion of it at least. Others lacked even a fence to separate the garden area of the complex from the road, but their employer had been very precise with his instructions. Frankie had obviously tuned out as they were being given. They were to drink the vials only at this location and wait for a sign once the vials had been finished. No, Jim said, looking about the place. I'm guessing we just wait and see what happens. Probably going to get a signal from somewhere. A flash of light or something. Well, so long as we ain't waiting too long, Frankie said. I'm getting hungry, plus it's freezing. Jim's stomach rumbled at the mention of food, but it still felt strange from the potion. He was giving serious consideration to stopping off at a hospital on the way home for a voluntary stomach pumping. The sooner the cat tonic was out of his body, the better. Lord only knew what it would do to his other body parts if he had to naturally pass it out of his system. 
Across the street, a light caught Jim's attention. It was shining on the wall of the park and had not been there when they arrived. He walked to the front of the car and checked the headlights. Both still turned off, no beam of light coming from them and being reflected on the old stone wall opposite. Hey Frankie, Jim said, gesturing with a flick of his head towards the light. Have a look at that. Frankie came over and stood beside Jim, staring at the wall across the street. They're putting the lights in walls now, he asked. Before Jim could respond, the light grew in intensity, blinding the pair of them so much that they had to shield their eyes with their hands. As suddenly as it started, it was over, the light vanishing in a blink. Jim lowered his hands and looked at the wall. A hole had appeared in the stonework, one that could easily fit a football, where the light had been shining. Jim looked up and down the street, saw no cars coming, then crossed over. Frankie followed close behind. They stood on either side of the hole. Jim looked up at the windows of the apartment blocks for any sign that they were being watched. It appeared no insomniacs were observing them, a feat that would have transformed the late-night watcher from innocent bystander to pain-in-the-ass witness. All clear, Frankie said, who also had checked. Was that hole there earlier? Jim shrugged. He examined the stone wall of the park carefully. It was as it always had been, old and stone and solid as the rocks it was built with. He slowly reached inside the hole with his hand, expecting his fingers to bump into stone as the hallucination was blown away by reality. Instead, his fingers brushed against something cold and metallic, set inside the hole. It felt like a little handle or lever. Gripping it, Jim tugged hard, then pushed it down when the tugging failed to achieve anything. A very loud click came from within the wall, followed by the sound of stone grinding against stone. The stones directly above the hole in the wall started to move, wiggling about of their own accord. Each one bulged slightly, pushing away from the wall, before being sucked into the old barrier in a cloud of dust and dirt. Jim rapidly pulled his hand back out from the hole, taking two steps away from it. Frankie had already jumped off the curb onto the ground, gun in hand and aimed at the stones. Jim was by no means a mason or bricklayer, but he knew enough about walls and bricks to know that they generally did not move about on their own. More stones started to wobble and wiggle in place, each one popping out a little before it too was sucked into the wall. With each one that disappeared, three more started moving. Are you seeing this too? Frankie asked Jim, eyes fixed on the stones. Jim did not answer, mesmerised by what was going on. The strange potion their employer had given them was obviously some sort of mind-altering drug and way better than anything either of them had ever taken. To see strange things when you were high was normal, practically passé, but for your friend to see the exact same things while also high was impressive. Selling a concoction like that on the street could make a man very rich indeed. After 30 seconds, the hole in the ground had grown in size, thanks in no small part to the stones that kept disappearing. When the last section had vanished from sight, there was an archway left behind set into the wall, as if it had always been there. That, Frankie said, was pretty damn cool. You see that? The wall just transformed like a bloody cartoon. You think I didn't see that, Jim said. What was even more trippy than the wall reforming itself, so that it had a lovely new archway, was what lay beyond the entrance. Logical if a hole appeared in a wall, let alone an entranceway, you would have expected to see what was on the other side. With this logical line of thought, Jim figured the only thing they should have seen at that moment 
was the grass and hills of the Phoenix Park. The last thing he expected to see was a long stone corridor lit with flaming torches. A corridor that seemed to go straight through the park. A park that had very few buildings in it, let alone ones built right beside the old stone wall. Is there some underground castle in the Phoenix Park that nobody's ever heard about? Frankie asked, walking up to the archway and peering inside. I have no idea, Jim said, pulling out his dart gun and cocking it. Here, did you spike my red bull? Frankie asked, his mental penny finally dropping after the self-arranging bricks. Of course I did. We couldn't afford to wait all night for you to drink it, Jim said. They both started to walk down the corridor, slowly, and each as equally unsure of what was going on as the other. In their line of work, hostile acquisitions during nocturnal hours, as Jim called it, you got used to seeing some strange things. People generally collected random junk that wound up being valuable or left their toys best used in the bedroom department, drying on the kitchen draining board. So after your fifth or sixth robbery, you sort of build up a tolerance for the strange. But this was an entirely different level of strange. Safes behind ancient paintings, that was acceptable. Entrances in old public park walls that only opened after you drank down a cat blood drug-laced potion that was just not normal. I think I see something up ahead, Frankie whispered, patting Jim on the shoulder then pointing further down the corridor. We'll get a little closer, Jim said, then take out whoever it is. Bossman said the dart will only knock them out. No killing, got it? He was very clear on that point. I heard you the first time, Frankie said. You'd swear I'd never listen or something. Both of them stopped moving and Frankie took aim. Jim looked down, trying to see whoever it was that was about to get a helpful prick into slumberland. It was hard to tell in the flickering torchlight, but there was definitely something up ahead. If it was a person, then they were either sitting down or extremely short and fat. Frankie took a shot. A little hiss of air was the only noise his gun made. The dart found its target. Although, in place of the thud sound of a falling body that Jim expected to hear, there came a shattering, like a clay pot breaking. They looked at each other. Don't think that was a person, Frankie said. Really? Jim replied, sarcasm dripping from the word. They continued along the corridor, Frankie slotting another dart into his gun, and came down to their pottery victim. Lying on the ground, smashed to pieces, was a white vase. Bits of it littered at the floor. Beside the remains of the vase was a little display stand, now bereft of anything to display. Somewhere up ahead, a door had opened. There was the sound of feet running towards them. Jim looked around quickly, but there was nowhere to hide at all. Nowhere to try and get the jump on whoever was approaching. Get your gun ready, Jim said, raising up his own and taking aim. What seemed like forever passed in the space of a heartbeat. Eventually Jim got his first glimpse of whoever lived in this underground tunnel. A glimpse that was a little surprising. Is that a bloody leprechaun? Frankie asked, sounding surprised. It did look like a leprechaun to Jim also, but not the cute and friendly cartoon variety. More the small human with a slightly enlarged head type. He wore an emerald green uniform, a really shiny one, with some strange Celtic symbols emblazoned on the front of it. His beard was bright orange, but neatly trimmed, and that made him look like a tiny Amish person that had fallen into a bucket of paint. Twice. He came running down the corridor, slowing slightly after catching sight of the two crooks, and stopped at the broken vase. What do you pair think you're doing? he asked, pointing a very chubby finger at them. 
You shouldn't be in here. It can't be a leprechaun, Jim thought. They aren't real. But as a rule, Jim tended to believe the evidence of his eyes. Even if tonight his eyes were playing a sizable amount of tricks on him. Keeping his gun trained on the short man, Jim glanced over at Frankie. His partner was staring at the person in front of them, clearly trying to make sense of things himself. Screw it, said Jim, and pulled the trigger. A dart shot out from the gun and hit the leprechaun-looking man in the chest. He looked down at it for a moment, as it protruded out of his emerald green uniform, before his eyes rolled back in his head and he collapsed on the ground. Did you just shoot a leprechaun, Frankie asked, staring at the fallen figure. Do we bring it along with us? Get some wishes or something? Jim shook his head. Bossman was very clear about this whole thing. We get in, get the thing, and get out. No killing, and I certainly ain't lugging around some midget, just because we think it might be a leprechaun. Besides, for all we know, this place is filled with those weirdos that dress up like elves and dwarves and whatnot, prancing around the forest at the weekend, pretending to be characters in a fantasy story. Freaks, if you ask me. Frankie looked from Jim to the tiny man and back again. But is he wearing a green suit? Or is it a really shiny silver kind of deal? If it's green, that definitely means he's a leprechaun. Jim sometimes forgot that Frankie saw the world in black and white. Not in the moral sense. There was enough grey in the crook's view of the world to allow him to steal for a living. More black and white in the canine sense of things when it came to seeing colours or the lack thereof. It accounted for some of the hideous clothes he had worn over the years. Everything matched if you could not tell what the colour was. Yes, Jim said, the guy is wearing a green suit, but that doesn't mean he's a bloody leprechaun. Just that he thinks he is. Don't go letting the fact that we drank a strange concoction walk through a magically appearing doorway and are clearly in some wizard's castle under the park make you run to wild and magical conclusions, okay? Frankie pointed at the possible leprechaun, a pleading look in his eyes. Just come on, for God's sake, Jim said, stepping over the slumbering individual. I want to get this job over with before it gets any weirder. He didn't wait to see what Frankie did. It was way past Jim's bedtime, and this place was giving him the creeps. He just wanted to get the goods and get the hell back to normality, with a small stomach pumping afterwards to make sure that normality contained the exact number of hallucinations it was meant to. From now on, he was going to stick to the simple jobs, like robbing apartments for TVs and the likes. At least that sort of job had no strange dietary conditions.